Hi, I'm Dr. Neil Barnard. Welcome to the exam room. Today we are going to tackle the most explosive topic in all of nutrition, and that is the keto diet. It is everywhere now, but it divides everybody from people who are just advocates for it so strongly. There is nothing like keto to others who really are concerned about the long-term health effects of this. So we're going to tackle this. Uh, Weight loss champion Chuck Carroll is going to be going one-on-one with registered dietitian Lee Crosby, who will talk about the short-term promise, but more importantly, the long-term risks of the keto diet. We also have Dr. Joel Kahn, who is going to talk about the big risks, and that's heart disease. But he's going to show how a plant-based diet not a keto diet, is really going to be the way to go. Um, But he'll tell his story. He's going to talk about his firsthand experience with his own patients. And uh, let's jump in. Here's weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee, talking about a fad diet of all fad diets today. Before that, housekeeping. I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. The show is on Twitter at PCRM, on Instagram at Physicians Committee. Be sure to like them on Facebook as well. And me, if you would be so kind, at Chuck Carroll, WLC across the board, the WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. Dr. Barnard just kind of set the table here. We are talking about the keto diet. That is the diet of all fad diets right now. It's on TV. They're talking about it on the radio. You can't flip through your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook without this popping up. Everybody's talking keto, even your 95-year-old grandmother. So to uh, help me understand exactly what that is, we're going to get into the ins and outs of it. We're going to welcome in registered dietitian Lee Crosby. She's upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center. Welcome back to the program. Great to be here, Chuck. You are doing a big presentation on this in a few weeks at our uh, ICNM conference here in Washington, D.C. I am, yes. So being the generous individual that I am, I thought, why don't we have you on the show so you can kind of fine-tune this presentation? (laughs) That is so good of you. Right. So for the listeners, know that this is just one big test. Um, No pressure. No, none at all. None at all. Uh, So... Keto diet stems from ketosis, and I think that maybe describing what ketosis is would be a good place to start. Okay, completely agreed. So ketosis is actually the body's emergency backup system. So when you do not, I should say to start that your body's preferred fuel is glucose. Mm -hmm. So when there's no carbohydrate coming in, there's no ready source of glucose, whether that's because it's a time of shortage and there's just no food around or because someone decided to start a keto diet and slash their carb intake, suddenly your body has no glucose. So it's going to have to turn to burning whatever fuel it has available. And in a high fat diet, although I've been wanting to say a high fad diet, Uh I couldn't resist. Okay. In a high fat diet, or if you're fasting and not eating at all, your primary energy source is going to be fat. Now here's the catch. Your brain can't run on fat directly. It needs glucose or it needs a substitute. And what your body does when there's no glucose available is it takes that fat and it uses it to make ketones, which is a substitute that your brain can actually run on. So when your body is making ketones to feed the brain and some of the other tissues that prefer glucose but you know need it or need a substitute, that is the state of ketosis. Interesting. Ketones. That ketones. sounds like a Motown group, doesn't it? It kind of does, actually, yeah, now that you say that. The ketones. <laughs> Um, That's interesting. So if if your brain is running off of ketones, Mm -hmm. is it as efficient as if you're eating the standard diet and you're not going through ketosis? Do you know? 
I mean, I would think it's since it's not the preferred fuel, it's not the fuel that your body is giving your brain most of the time, I would say it's less efficient. But I don't actually know of that for certain. Gotcha. So then that brings us to the keto diet. Ah, uh, so the keto you go. diet. Like, what is this? What is this fad that everyone's talking about? All right. So keto diets are basically diets in which carbohydrate or carbs is severely restricted. Mm. So that, again, we can talk a little bit about definitions. But basically the goal in a keto diet is to get your body from to shift from burning glucose like normal to burning almost exclusively fats. And as a result making ketones to feed the brain and those other tissues that need, you know, a glucose substitute. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So burning fat, obviously, then weight loss would be the Yeah, the it sounds great, here. right? Right. Unless you're taking in huge amounts of fat, in which case, not so much. Right. But, okay, so now you're talking about carb restrictions, and then mm -hmm. that obviously just brings me right to the Atkins diet, and we don't have to necessarily talk about that, but Atkins, definitely a high meat diet, and it sounds like for a lot of people, so too is the keto right. diet. So why isn't a, a diet that's really high in meat, why isn't that actually good for inducing ketosis? It, it's kind of having the opposite of the desired effect. Yeah. It? So it's a misconception that, oh, okay, so a keto diet is going to be a high meat, high protein diet. Fun fact, protein intake actually slows down ketosis or the body's production of ketones because again your body really wants glucose mm. so given it given a chance it's going to do whatever it can to make some glucose and what it can do it can't make fat directly into glucose that's why it makes ketones but it can turn some of those building blocks of protein those amino acids it can turn some of those into glucose so if you're taking in a lot of protein it's not like it's going straight into your muscles you're going to basically turn if you're on a low carbohydrate diet your body's going to take some of that protein and turn it into glucose mm. so it actually decreases ketone production because now you have some glucose available again I think I read somewhere, and correct me if I'm wrong, though, that a high meat diet, a, a diet that like this, it just has so much protein, so much fatty meat in it. That's actually really not good for uh, organs. Like e even your kidneys are oh, affected. Oh, it's really hard on your kidneys. Yeah. So when you're making glucose out of protein, you have all this extra nitrogen left over, and what is going to get rid of that. That's a waste product at that point. Your kidneys are the ones that have to deal with all that. So it does put extra strain on the kidneys for sure. Well, that's not very fun. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. No. No. No, I don't want that. <laughs> no. I want healthy kidneys. That's right. Exactly. Um, kind of just alluded to this. There are varying versions of the keto diet. Some have more meat than others. So is there a general consensus on what the keto diet is, or is it kind of just a general term and people modify it as they see fit? It's a term people use really loosely. So a true classic ketogenic diet is actually used for control of drug-resistant seizures. That's the true keto diet. It's very restrictive. It's basically, it gives you four grams of fat for every one gram of carbohydrate and protein combined. Mm. So since fat has more calories per gram, that works out to about 90% of your calories from fat and 10% from protein and carbohydrate combined. Mm. So that's actually a low protein diet. Right. Because of that 10%, a small fraction of it, about 2 to 4% is carbohydrate. And then they usually will be around 6 to 8% in terms of protein intake. So that was what gives you maximal ketosis, which is what they're looking for when they're trying to get 
seizure control in people who have epilepsy that doesn't respond to medication. So there, there's a slightly less restrictive version of that classic keto diet, but that's the true ketogenic diet. Then you start to get into these other sorts of iterations. So the Atkins diet initiation phase gives you about 20 grams of, of carbohydrate per day. So that's about 5% of calories. Right. And then it's about 25%. There's a little range, but about 25% from protein and then the rest from fat. So in terms of seizure control, that actually doesn't work as well because we just talked about when you get extra protein, your body's like, yay, let's make glucose because right. what it really wants is glucose. Right. So it's going to be less effective in terms of seizure control and less of a ketogenic diet, but you will still be producing ketones. And then in the research, it was really kind of dodgy trying to, to nail down what exactly a ketogenic diet is. But the general consensus is that a true ketogenic diet has about 10% or less of calories, give or take, from carbohydrate. So about 50 grams of carbohydrate or less. You're the registered dietitian, and this doesn't necessarily apply to the keto diet. It just applies to diets in general. You hear about a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. The thing that I've learned since working here is that a high-fat diet, man, that has just been linked to all sorts of trouble down the line. It's really hard on your body. Absolutely. Yeah. We can we're, I mean, we want, we can get into that, but you want to get into that now? Or I, I, mean, wanna, yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of side effects and risks from this. L Let's talk that for a second because <laughs> okay. I, I, okay. I want to stick with the positive and then, you know, we'll, we'll slip right. into the, the risks associated with, with And this. I did try to be positive when I came into this topic. I really tried to make sure because I sort of had an inherent reaction of, wow, this just can't be good for you. I, so I really tried to know that I, was, that I had a lens and that I wanted to try and be as fair as I could with the mm -hmm. evidence in front of me. So, um, You kind of touched on this a little bit, but this diet has been proven to effectively treat at least one condition, correct? Correct. And that is drug-resistant epilepsy. So again, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but there's good data, decades and decades of good data showing that when you, again, when you basically starve the brain of its preferred fuel, it becomes, which is glucose, it becomes a little less reactive. And people who have seizures have that do not respond to medication will respond to diet oftentimes, in this case, a keto diet. And even if it's not a specific uh, a treatment for a specific disease, there people will see, I guess, what you could say are benefits still of Ish. this diet? Benefit-ish. <laughs> so some people, yeah. So there are some, again, the seizure reduction is the big one. It does tend to decrease calorie intake in people because they get nauseated and they get constipated and all kinds of other things. So mm. I mean, yeah, right? And you can smoke cigarettes and lose weight, too. It's not a healthy way to do it. But right. it, it can, you know, decrease calorie intake. Um, you're not taking in any blood sugar, so it's certainly going to drop blood glucose. But it's not necessarily going to fix the underlying cause, which we can talk about. And that it does somewhat improve a couple of the blood lipid parameters, really? triglycerides, and that sort of good cholesterol. But it's not all sunshine and bunnies when it comes to that. So that sounds good, but yeah. there's always more to the story. So we'd have to dig under. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting <laughs> to me, uh, especially for those that do uh, prescribe to the high meat theory with this. You, you would not think. so much on the highest meat versions of this. So, gotcha. again, it's all very nuanced. People say keto diets, and they're really casting this broad net. But a true keto diet, again, a true keto diet is actually low to moderate in protein. 
All right, so we talked about what it has been proven to be effective in treating, but what about the conditions? Maybe some are claiming that it's effective treating, but the science just isn't quite there yet. There are an awful lot of those. I don't know if you've noticed, but people seem to think the keto diet can pretty much fix the ills of the world. Have you noticed that? I have. I have indeed. Yeah. So the first one that's being, you know, getting a lot of research right now is weight control because we're, you know, we tend to be struggling with weight in this country and around the globe. Turns out that keto diets are about the same as every other diet that restricts calories to the same level in terms of weight loss. So there's no particular advantage to going on a keto diet. But it does, what it does do is in the short term, it makes people less hungry because they're, again, they're nauseated. They're not feeling great. So they do eat a little less. But over the long term, there's no difference in weight loss. What about diabetes? diabetes, right? You'd think. Now, this is one where you would think, right? Wow. Okay. So there's no glucose coming in pretty much or very little. This is going to be great for diabetes, right? Because high blood sugar. Of course. But it turns out that while it does it does sort of temporarily fix the high blood sugar symptom, but it doesn't necessarily get at the underlying cause. So have you heard that the under one of the underlying causes of diabetes is something called lipotoxicity? That's a new one to me, but I'm happy to be educated. Okay, so that's a term which you get from the lipo being fat and the toxicity being toxicity, that it's it involves the pathogenesis behind this involves fat building up inside of muscle cells, hmm. also inside of liver cells and inside of the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. And that's one of the things that triggers the symptom of high blood sugar is this sort of pathological buildup of fat in places where it's not really supposed to be. So the high-fat keto diet does not necessarily fix this underlying issue. In fact, this is an interesting study for your for your next cocktail party. <laughs> Researchers have actually shown that you can effectively induce the symptoms of early diabetes in totally healthy people by putting them on a high-fat keto-style diet for three days. No kidding. Yeah, they took, I want to make sure I get this right, they took nine healthy young men. They were an average of 27 years old. They put them on a diet that was about 20% carbs, 70% fat, 10% protein. Three days, challenged them with carbohydrate. And relative to the regular diet, their blood sugar spiked higher and stayed higher longer. And it was, they think, partly due to a decreased first phase insulin response, which is also the first type of symptom that you get when people are developing diabetes. So would need more data on that, but it does not suggest to me that this would be a great kind of diet to actually get at the underlying cause of diabetes and reverse the condition. Essentially, because so many people think that diabetes is tied directly to sugar, sugar, uh, sugar, sugar, right? It's the symptom, symptom, symptom. Uh. <laughs> but it's not the underlying disease, so to speak. What, uh, what about heart disease? Okay, so heart disease is an interesting one. So they did a meta-analysis. Are you familiar with that? I am. That right? is uh, analysis of many studies. That's right. It's the study of studies. They looked at 13 <laughs> of the – it's true. They looked at 13 randomized controlled trials. Those are sort of the gold standard in terms of doing uh, nutrition or drug or any kind of research, really. And they found that ketogenic diets did lower triglycerides a little bit. They raised good cholesterol a little bit. That sounds great, right? Yeah. But people were losing weight in these studies. And normally when you lose weight, your bad cholesterol goes down. Right. In in this big analysis of all these studies, people's bad cholesterol went up a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but that's not the right direction. It went up, up just about, to find a point on it, 4.6 milligrams per deciliter. So not a huge jump. But again, most people, they lose weight. Their bad cholesterol comes down, put people on a keto diet, 
that bad cholesterol either stays the same or goes up a little bit. And for some people, it goes up a whole lot. I would imagine, though, that a lot of these people who are in these studies that were being studied um, <laughs> may have been overweight to begin with, seen as though, you know, you're looking at, at weight loss. So yep. that would kind of tell me that they already had elevated levels of bad cholesterol to begin with. That is correct. And we also, we have no evidence that keto diets actually protect the heart. We have some evidence that it that high-fat diets can damage blood vessels, which would not help the heart. Whereas on the other hand, we know that very low-fat plant-based diets can actually reverse coronary artery disease. So can help reverse heart disease. So that's a you know that's basically the opposite diet of this mm-hmm. can help reverse heart disease. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to go on the opposite of a diet that can help reverse heart disease? It's a good question, <laughs> right? That's a fair question. It is a very fair question. Um, the other big one here, uh, Alzheimer's. Right. Uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised to see this one come up uh, in this talk. You know, I wouldn't think that keto diet, like anybody, would be claiming any sort of effect with Alzheimer's disease. But lo and behold, here we are. So Alzheimer's, there are a lot of causes and a lot of effects going on. So it's a very complex disease. But there's some evidence that basically insulin resistance in the brain or diabetes, but localized in the brain. And someone has even gone as far in one paper as calling it type 3 diabetes <laughs> is Alzheimer's disease. Is basically that the cells in the brain don't respond as well to insulin. So glucose doesn't get into those cells. So they don't get the fuel they need, right? Because again, in the brain, glucose is the primary fuel. So the thinking here is that, well, if we can provide an alternate fuel that doesn't need insulin to get into cells, that's ketones, then maybe that'll help with brain function in people with Alzheimer's disease. So the study that I'm most familiar with, they actually put people on a medication that artificially caused them to produce ketones. Mm. Um, It turns out it's really hard to get people with Alzheimer's disease to um, not eat their favorite foods. Right. So, you know, understand. And most people do like foods that have carbohydrate in them. So it's pretty tricky to get people to go on a keto diet. So what they did was they gave them medication and they did find that particularly for a subgroup of people, within this that had a particular genetic variant, and that was the people who, I don't know if you've heard of the APOE gene. Uh, yeah. I it, it, anyway, so they were negative for the the less good variant of APOE. They actually had a pretty decent response to this medication in terms of a slight uptick in their cognitive functioning. So that's interesting, but the overall progression of the disease didn't change. So basically they got a little bit of symptom improvement, but the, the trajectory still look to be going in the the downward direction. And the scary part is that while, and that wasn't even the diet, remember, this was just a medication. So we don't want to take those results and say, oh, keto for Alzheimer's, like nowhere close to that. This is very much under investigation. But the catch is that these high fat, high saturated fat keto diets, that style of diet in terms of being that high in fat and sat fat is actually linked to the risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. So it might help a little bit with treating symptoms, but And there's some analogy here to diabetes. It might actually increase your risk of getting Alzheimer's in the first place. So it's certainly not a diet anyone would want to go on if they were trying to reduce their risk of getting Alzheimer's. Cancer. That's the other one. So this one is interesting. There is some reason to believe that a keto diet could potentially, and this is just more from a theoretical standpoint, could help people who are in active treatment for cancer getting chemo or radiation. But this is based on case reports. Um, there's no there's no solid study on this, although they're being done right now. So again, I really tried to come at this with an open mind. There is some potential that it could help 
to protect normal cells and make cancer cells a little more at risk when people are in treatment, but we do not have data to say that that is for sure. But it's just one of those things on the horizon that is actually being, it's just in safety tests right now, Mm -hmm. and it's actually disrecommended at this point in time because people who are in cancer treatment are at risk for malnutrition anyway. And if you have people going on a ketogenic diet, which is highly restrictive, they are much more likely to have malnutrition side effects and other side effects like nausea and constipation, which are going to amplify the side effects of the treatment they're in. So it's interesting. Down the road, maybe this is a could be used as a short-term adjuvant. Uh, certainly, again, not a prevention strategy, just like you wouldn't go on chemo to prevent cancer. Like right. it's, it mu- but there might be a use in a short-term way during treatment. Yeah. Jury's out. Something to look at for the future. Yeah, so bottom line is with all of these claims, with the exception of the epilepsy. That one's proven. Everything yep. is pretty much TBD. Yeah, except weight loss. We know it makes people lose weight in the short term. It doesn't necessarily improve their health, right. but they can lose weight. Right. So <laughs> recapping the benefits here. We're yep. going to put that in, Air in quotes. quotes. <laughs> Caesar reduction. um, Weight loss, improved blood sugar levels, right. symptomatic, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, decreased triglycerides and increased HDL. Right. All right. So everything else, TBD. Now, uh-huh. you turn on the TV, you're bombarded <laughs> with these drug commercials. And I'm yes. telling you, these are 30-second spots. Half of the time, at least, is spent talking about all the various side effects mm-hmm. that the drug could potentially cause. That is correct. What are some of the short-term side effects? Just the short-term ones? The short-term ones. And please do it in your best TV. I say, can I read them side effect style? Oh, by all means. Okay. I'm going to actually read these so I make sure I don't miss any. So short-term side effects of keto diet may include nutrient deficiencies, constipation, nausea, fatigue, headaches, impaired glucose tolerance, impaired artery function, elevated LDL or bad cholesterol, impaired athletic performance, and bad breath due to exhalation of acetone. And consult your doctor if you're pregnant or planning to become pregnant. Absolutely, 100%. This is not a good diet for women of reproductive age either, but that's another story. It just seems to me like every one of those... Uh, you know, uh, disclaimers always ends with that one. (laughs) Well, so does the disclaimer for keto diets. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So uh, short-term side effects, none of that really sounds fun. No, it's really not. It really, it really isn't. It's, this is not, again, I think most people would sort of rationally, just logically look at what a keto diet is and what is proposed that you eat and say, hey, this isn't good for you. And it turns out, yeah, that is logical. And it makes sense because look at all the things that that your body does when you try to get onto one of these diets. It's not a pretty picture. No, the constipation alone um, just kind of turns me off. Yeah. Well, can't imagine. (laughs) Oh, I just got that slow on the uptake, but I get there. Um, that's, that's just the short term. Mm-hmm. We haven't even talked about the long term stuff. Yet. Yeah, this is and this is the scary stuff, truly, like nausea, constipation. That's not fun. But the long term stuff is is really scary. Sh- do you want me to continue? Oh, by all means, okay. like you're not spooking me here. It's all right. not Friday the 13th. Okay. All right. Well, brace yourself. So long term risks, um, increased risk of colon cancer is very likely because, again, we don't have long term safety data on keto studies. So we're sort of having to you know, draw conclusions from the information we have, but increased risk of colon cancer because you're not getting as much fiber. And for most people on a keto diet, they're eating lots of red and processed meat because they've cut out carbohydrates. So both of those things linked with increased risk of colon cancer, birth defects. This is the one you were talking about for pregnant women to avoid this. You were joking, but for real, they really should. There's an increased risk of birth defects for women who are on a low carbohydrate diet. 
and get pregnant. And the catch is that women can say, oh, well, I won't do it when I'm trying to get pregnant. But a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant at the beginning of their pregnancies. And they maybe weren't trying to get pregnant in the first place. So if they're on a keto-style diet, that puts that embryo, that developing embryo, at risk for birth defects. So please, please, if you're a woman of reproductive age, do not, you know, do not go on a ketogenic diet. Very. Yeah. It's scary scary. stuff. It's scary stuff. Um, I mean, unless you have drug-resistant seizures. Or a very specific prescribed reason, proven prescribed reason to be on it. So it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah. Wow. Uh, And I would imagine like uh, you're looking at clogging up the old arteries with this one too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So again, impaired artery function, we we know that high fats diets um, can damage the interior lining of arteries. Long term, that can lead to increased risk of heart attack and stroke. So people want to go on this to lose weight, but then they have a heart attack. Like, you didn't win. That's not that's no. not the point of no. losing weight. The point of losing weight is to get healthy and feel good. So that's a pretty important long-term uh, risk. And then this is the one that gets me the most, that lower-carb diets generally are linked to an increased risk of dying from all causes. So, you know, I would put that in the in the long-term risk, you might want to avoid category, uh, dying from any cause. I, I, I would think that qualifies. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense for so many reasons. I, I mean, keto diet aside, I mean, you just look at what you're eating from a, a lay standpoint mm-hmm. at that point. More yep. specifically, uh, maybe what you're not eating. Correct. And so it kind of all amounts to increased risk of death from so many causes. Right. All these protective phytochemicals and the fiber, all the vitamins and minerals that you get in these you know, whole plant foods, for the most part, these are excluded from a keto diet. So it makes sense that you're going to have negative outcomes. A group of the population that I think would really turn to this and probably already are, are athletes. They mm-hmm. may see this as a great way to build muscles, bigger, faster, stronger kind yeah. of deal. Lose, lose fat, right? Lose body fat. And get all, you know, hulked up, brother. <laughs> um, CrossFitters in particular, though, right. on the keto diet, this is pretty interesting. Yeah. So they actually, because this is a decently popular diet with that particular, you know, training style, they actually did a study on keto diets for people who are doing CrossFit training. And what they found was it was a small study and they basically compared people to what they were already eating. But what they found was that people, this was a 12-week study, they put, they asked people to go on a keto diet, so gave them guidelines. And they found that people did lose weight. They had, and they lost fat mass. So there was a 12% decrease in fat mass. Turns out it wasn't magical keto reason for that. They actually ended up decreasing their calories over 500 calories a day hmm. for the people who returned their their diet records. Um, but the scary parts, yay, they lost fat. Sounds great. Their LDL or bad cholesterol went up by 35 percent in wow. just 12 weeks. I mean, holy smokes. These were relatively young people or they in their early 30s. And again, that's not how it's supposed to go. You lose weight. Your bad cholesterol is supposed to drop. These guys, their bad cholesterol started out, it should be, I should say, bad cholesterol, LDL should be below 100 milligrams per deciliter. Mm. These guys started out, quote unquote, healthy with 114 as their baseline, which is already not good. They ended up at an average of 154 milligrams per deciliter. So, wow, they lost some body fat, but they pretty much need a statin by the time they're done with this 12-week, you know, keto diet study. That's pretty scary, in my opinion. See, and that that makes me think of, you know, oh, you know, such and such a person was so healthy and he died randomly of a heart right. attack in his 40s. You was know? it he, random? He, yeah, he ran every day. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, but 
what's he putting in the body? I don't know? want to say that for some people it is. There's a familial whatever, and it's, it is. Sure, but, sure. I mean, this is not the kind of diet you want to go on if you have any kind of risk in your family for right, heart disease. Right. And, and we're just talking generalities. Correct. Yes, yes. Obviously, mortality can be caused by virtually Lots of things. Anything. Yes, yes. Um, Crossfitters. What about runners, sprinters? You know, track and field people. Yeah, no, there have been there's been research on this too, and, and anything that requires that sort of sprint or anaerobic kind of you know glucose burning surprise when you go on a keto diet, you get less good results on those kinds of activities. Shocker. Less good. Less good. Less good. Okay, worse. Not gooder. <laughs> Maybe I need more coffee. Right, so uh, Usain Bolt will not be doing this. Highly soon. unlikely. All right. Highly unlikely. You know, Carl Lewis, he went to the vegan diet. Yeah. You know yeah. Yeah. I did know that, actually. Uh, he did okay, you know. He, Just okay. That Carl Lewis guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's up with this, man? So I'm in the store over the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going up and down the aisles, filling the cart, getting what it is that I need for the week. And I see on there, bullet coffee. Oh. Bullet coffee. Gracious. Now. Yes. I roll my eyes at this. Yes. Any, anybody that is familiar with bulletproof coffee, I'm sure now, is just rolling their eyes as well. <laughs> Let me tell you another story. Okay. I have a Let's dear friend. Yes. He's a great guy. Right. I love him to death. He struggles with his weight. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, you know, probably in the neighborhood of 3, 320, somewhere in there. That's, that's just my estimate. And I'm hanging out with him one day, and he looks at me with the biggest grin. He's pouring himself a cup of coffee, and I see him put a stick of butter in there. Well, okay. And I'm like, what are you, you doing? You know I'm a dietitian, right? I, okay. <laughs> okay. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. <laughs> and he's like, Chuck, I'm, I'm going to catch up to you, man. This is, you know, I'm putting butter in my coffee. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? He's like, no, man, <gasps> this is healthy. Like, go with it. This is bulletproof coffee. I was like, how? In what universe <laughs> is this healthy? He's like, no, man, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to keep me from eating. It's going to fill me up, you know? And I'm just like. It might make you nauseous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just and and so what did that cup of coffee ever do to him? I, I don't know. I mean, you got a cup of coffee there. I do. Um, I I just I knew nothing of the keto diet at mm-hmm. that point. This was the first time I was even introduced to it at all. Right. And I was literally not joking, scratching my head, racking my brain, trying to figure out how this could be perceived as being healthy. What yep. are the health benefits? of this at all and so from a registered dietitian standpoint do you have a cricket sound effect somewhere (laughs) i'm sure we can add (laughs) add one in post but you know as a registered dietitian talk Mm -hmm. to me about this stuff oh my gosh bulletproof coffee i just i can't i can't even i mean is this yeah i don't know if this is part of the like post fact era or something because bulletproof coffee is basically take a lovely eight ounce cup of coffee got some antioxidants pretty decent data showing that it's not going to hurt you and it might help you with you know i think lower risk of parkinson's something along those lines anyways coffee love it um (laughs) what they do is they take and this is i think from the bulletproof website they take two tablespoons of butter they actually recommend grass-fed ghee because that's going to make it better butter so basically yeah they've taken out any of the solid stuff so it's like straight up fat So two tablespoons of butter, and then you add in one to two tablespoons of what they call octane oil, which is basically pure saturated fat. It's medium-chain triglycerides, which makes some people feel better for some reason, but it's pure saturated fat. And then they put all that stuff in this perfectly good cup of coffee. So when you get done, you have a 480-calorie cup of coffee that contains... 
pretty much one quarter cup of pure fat, mostly saturated, the kind that is going to put you at increased risk for a heart attack and also lead to increased risk of diabetes and lead to increased risk of Alzheimer's. This is not, this is coffee you, the way you never, ever want to drink it. So if you want to be bulletproof, please, please run away from bulletproof coffee. I would imagine, I've, I've, obviously, I never tasted it. Oh, I haven't uh, either. And, and oh, I, no, thank I you. never will, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Too. I just, I imagine it would taste like sludge, given oh. everything that you've added there. Could you even taste the coffee at that point? I I don't I don't know why anyone would just would just would do that to to a perfectly good cup of coffee. It just it hurts my soul a you, little bit. You drink yours black. I right? do. Yeah, yeah I do. That's that's the pure coffee. It right really there. is. I'm a purist on that. I, I love yeah, me yeah, some yeah. Coffee. I love me some coffee. I love it too much. That's you know. Yeah. So again, there are all these gimmicky things. It's all like you said. It's very faddish. It's so tr- it's trending right now. But we already know that a low fat vegan diet centered on whole foods can help reduce your risk of pretty much all the things. So why not just do that? Mm -hmm. Why not? Why not? Why not? All right. We look forward to seeing you at uh, ICNM in August. Uh, By the way, if you want to come to that, if you're a doctor, you need some CEs, whatever, come on, register PCRM.org. We're going to have tons of speakers there. Uh, We're actually going to be doing some uh, live recordings of the podcast while we're there. And of course, you'll be presenting. Uh, I will. Much more in depth on that. So I hope that this was a nice warm up for you. It sure was. Yeah. Outstanding. Got some good science going here. All right. And you said, listeners, stick around. uh, Coming up right now. Dr. Joel Kahn, we're going to talk a little bit about heart disease, and he also has his own take, I'm sure, on the keto diet. Rolling right along here on the Exam Room Podcast and the Physicians Committee, my next guest has a new book out. It's called The Plant-Based Solution, and this guy is just a wealth of information. What a privilege to have him on the show. Dr. Joel Kahn, how are you, sir? Well, thank you very much. I almost feel like saying I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because I'm such a gigantic fan of this podcast and everything Dr. Bernard does, of course, PCRM. But thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it is absolutely our pleasure. And it's so fitting that you're on this particular show where we're talking about the keto diet because your book, The Plant-Based Solution, dives right into the heart disease uh, that comes along with the high fat diet. And so let's, let's just start with this. How common is heart disease in America? Yeah, it's, it's quite striking. And if you look for it, you'll find it. Um, And that's the bottom line. If you go down to Louisiana, Mississippi, where some listeners are from, and you take an ultrasound of a 15 year old's carotid artery to the brain, you'll find disease in their arteries they didn't have when they were born with. If you're a 21-year-old soldier in the United States and you have the misfortune of being uh, injured to the point of mortality in an accident, you'll have it. But in my practice, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, for sure 50-year-olds, using ultrasound or CAT scan, I'm going to find some atherosclerosis uh, in more than 50% of people. The good news is there are people that are completely free of it. Uh, and I do believe plant-based eaters of the whole food variety are more likely to have that special title. But uh, it's out there. The goal is partly to never get it and then partly to make sure it doesn't convert to the real active beast, which would be a heart attack, a stroke, 
need for an emergency room stent or bypass. This is a Motor City, and a very noisy car went by, but it's fitting for a Motor City interview. <laughs> I love the ambiance. Um, Not that all cars in Detroit are noisy. Uh, I don't want to give that impression. There's some pretty good ones made here. For sure. <laughs> I, I want to go back to what, what you said. I mean, you just threw out some interesting ages. You said teenagers and 21-year-old so- soldiers and even people in their 30s and 40s. To me, that still sounds very young. And when I think about heart disease, I think a lot of us might think that that would uh, occur later in life, the 50s, the 60s, and, and so on. But you're talking about teenagers. That's That's a pretty startling number there. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there is a disconnect in the American medical system, uh, one of which is the evaluation of heart disease. The number one cause of death of men and women in the United States is a heart attack, uh, complications of heart disease, stroke, blood pressure, damage to kidneys. Um, That process, and whether you're talking actually death or just the more than a million people a year that have a heart attack, need bypass, need stents, by the time that's diagnosed, that's been going on for usually way more than a decade, and it totally escaped detection. Totally. People are in their doctor's office. People are going, uh, you know, to various checkups, and they could have been detected. So I have an interesting clinic. It's a plant-based cardiology preventive clinic, but I can't convince people on the critical role of plant-based diets and prevention if I don't show them that they're actually aging faster than they suspect. So asking them how they feel is not enough. Asking them if I can do a quick ultrasound in the carotid arteries like they're doing in 15-year-olds in uh, Louisiana as part of what's called the Bogalusa heart trial that's been going on for decades. Ask them if they have a 10-second CAT scan of their heart arteries. I can prove to them occasionally the wonderful news that they are actually as young as they think they are or feel they are, but much more commonly that there is a silent process. And let's get on the broccoli, let's get on the salad, let's get on the uh, whole food plant-based diet and let's just stop this and look for other reasons they might have that. Well, here's one of the things that I'm wondering here is at your practice you do this and it sounds like down in Louisiana that some of the physicians there as well, but why isn't why aren't patients more widely tested for heart disease when we know that the obesity rate in this country continues to climb? And even if not obesity now, two-thirds of this country are either overweight or obese. you got to think that yeah, there's a correlation there, and, and there should be more screenings. And as Dr. Bernard lectures, as we're approaching 100 million Americans that are pre-diabetic or diabetic and not just heart disease, loss of eyesight, loss of nerve function, loss of sexual function, loss of kidney function, loss of life. There is, I think, skepticism and still amazingly lack of knowledge that in 1990, Dr. Ornish demonstrated plant-based whole food diets reverse heart disease, that Dr. Esselstyn in the 1990s showed that it's reversible, that Dr. Bernard showed that type 2 diabetes can be modified or reversed, that Dr. Joel Furman showed that many medical conditions can be modified or reversed. There's such skepticism and lack of knowledge that I think it's a futility. Why get a heart test that costs 75 or $80? Why get an ultrasound? Uh, we'll never get people to do that hard job. We'll never get people to change their habits, or they just don't even know that that's a possibility. The, the, the conversation of disease prevention and disease reversal is slightly increasing in the, in the regular medical world, but it's quite rare. I, I'm very pleased the Michigan chapter of the American College of Cardiology 
uh, later this year is having their annual conference, and they invited me on a panel that's actually called Prevention is the New Intervention. And I tell you, for a standard cardiology group to have a section like that, which should have been there since the 1990s, uh, is so welcome, but it's rare and it's new. So, so much work to get people to buy in that it's worth the effort to educate a patient, get them in a program, refer them to the diabetes prevention program at a YMCA, get them in a 21-day kickstart, get them in a cardiac rehab that teaches ornithopredicin, you know, just get them in a program or give them a book. I, I, I beat down more diabetes by just handing Dr. Bernard's book out or Dr. Esselstyn's book out or Dr. Furman's book out because people don't even have a clue. They've gone to a doctor for 10 years and took diabetic medicine, and then you open the, the box, the Pandora's box, that this might be something they could beat. Hard work, but they could beat it. So How hard is it? You know, yeah. Yeah, you flip your, your, bean, your beef burger to a bean burger. I mean, there's a lot harder things to do in life, really, but people do moan and groan about it, but then they do it. So let's let's talk about this. If somebody is unfortunately diagnosed, they haven't had that intervention, uh, prevention as intervention, as you called it. Somebody is diagnosed with either diabetes or heart disease. Can you talk to me a little bit about the evidence that shows that those conditions can be reversed with the plant-based diet? Right. And diabetes, just briefly, it's important to always be cautious with the language. There's the autoimmune type 1 diabetes that typically might start in a young child, but lately there's uh, a kind of a late onset adult version of type 1 diabetes. It might occur around age 20, but it's still generally viewed to be destruction of cells in the pancreas that make insulin. So you're really going to need to have insulin. You're not going to reverse the need for insulin. That's all, frankly, sort of short term. There are regenerative, rejuvenative programs. There'll be you know, implantable pumps. There'll be stem cell therapy. And I think we can all look forward to the day that we talk about that there used to be nothing to do for type 1 diabetes except uh, insulin injections. Thank God for insulin injections in the meantime. But even whole food plant-based diet in a type 1 diabetic, you still improve what's called insulin sensitivity. You may decrease the amount of units a day you need of insulin. Uh, nobody's better talking about that than uh, real type 1 diabetics that are plant-based, like Robbie Barbero and Mastering Diabetes and such. When you get to type 2 diabetes... Of course, you've got Dr. Neil Barnard and, you know, uh, randomized long-term studies showing compared to the American Diabetes Association, you have better outcomes in terms of diabetic control, neuropathy, overall health, eating a whole food plant-based diet. They, they are as good as science gets to get a group of patients to follow two different diets for more than a year is very difficult. And that's been done. That's been published. There's books written about it, of course. But the bigger deficit isn't the knowledge. It's getting the patients the knowledge. Some of them are smart enough to Google the topic. Some bumble across a summit or an article. But if you're just in a standard endocrinology office, you're almost certainly not going to be given a copy of a book about reversing type 2 diabetes. Yet, maybe three-quarters of people could dramatically decrease or maybe eliminate the need for medication if they'll just do what they need to do and uh, eat the naturally low in fat whole food, real food diet, not uh, commercial processed food. When you get to heart disease, we can go back to the 1940s and 50s with Walter Kempner and the Duke Rice diet and Lester Morrison, a very famous doctor in Los Angeles, but really starting with Nathan Pritikin jumping into Dr. Dean Ornish, you know, high level scientific studies with advanced technology. Dr. Esselstyn and his passion and science and book and folks have an eyes. 
and you know, so I see people. I don't think there's probably 20 of us in the United States. I'm not sure about that. That are cardiologists that are plant based. That will see really sick people that are facing bypass next week, and we'll work with them to dramatically and really instantly change their diet, um, manage their medication, avoid the need for bypass and stents. Just like Dr. Orner showed for the really in the late 1970s, if you can believe it, then fully published in 1983 and 1990 and 1998, uh, they feel better within a couple weeks. Their treadmill uh, ability goes up dramatically within a month or two. Their need for putting a nitro under the tongue goes down, and if they'll just stick with it, they can actually experience some progressive reversal of the amount of blockage, the health of their arteries, the presence and abnormalities on their stress test. So, um, you know, what would be the true number? There's Detroit in the background. I love it. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> trying to move to a quiet spot, but all of a sudden I'm in, like, the motorcycle heaven of Detroit. What's the true number of people in the United States that absolutely need bypass and stents? My uh, estimate as a cardiologist trained in stent therapy and very experienced, probably 75% of these major procedures, some of which people do not make it through, could be avoided. You know, if you're in the emergency room and you've avoided detection and you're on the brink of a heart attack and you're having lots of chest pain not responding, you probably should be grateful there's a cardiac surgeon and a cardiologist to pop a stent in. But if you're being sent home to think about it, I mean, go run to the Internet and go read quick. Uh, go quickly grab up some Dr. Esselstyn YouTubes and find some talks I've given, or, again, Dr. Joel Furman or Dr. Robert Osfeld, and, on and on. you know, there's a few of us, there's not many of us, and think seriously if you fit into a group where bypass and stents is the only option, because nutritional cardiology, along with, ultimately, when you get healthy enough, exercise, good sleep, obviously avoidance of smoking, managing stress, uh, using the whole Ornish lifestyle program, which would actually include, you know, social support and meditation is powerful it just it's harder for a doctor to describe to a patient and it's harder for a patient to do than actually go to sleep for bypass and take a handful of pills every day till the bypass fails in the future i want to switch gears here a little bit and ask you about the theme of this show which is the keto diet obviously very high fat very low carb again seems to me like this could be tied to, you know, very much to heart disease. So I'm curious, as a plant-based physician, what is your opinion of the keto diet? Well, I'm going to mock a little bit um, a cardiac surgeon from California, Dr. Stephen Gundry, who is quite well known for a New York Times bestselling book called The Plant Paradox, where he talks about the killer lectins and how kidney beans will kill you. Well, that's all nonsense. It does tie in a bit with the keto diet. But it's actually the keto diet should be called the killer keto diet. And unlike his comment about the killer beans and the killer lectins, there actually is concerning medical data. So what is the keto diet? And maybe other uh, conversants on the podcast today have discussed it. But we have a backup system in our body when we're under stress, when we're ill, when our blood sugar is out of control, when our alcohol intake is out of control, um, and when we're starving, that instead of depending on glucose, from fruits and vegetables and beans and rice, we can create a fuel called ketone bodies temporarily out of our fat to fuel our brain and our heart and our muscles temporarily, and it can save our lives in extreme distress. It's a backup system. You know, it's like a ripcord or break the glass, you know, only in case of emergency. 
but about 100 years ago, it was found one medical condition did respond if we created a diet that provoked that response on purpose. And that was see the extremely low-carb diet, high in fat, and that was a condition of epilepsy or seizures, largely in children, and it actually can respond. There was, a, a very importantly, well-known side effects to adopting a diet in kids, kidney stones, nausea, even serious weakness of heart muscle. Nothing, you know, if there was ever a commercial on TV and they had to actually list the 40 potential side effects of the keto diet, according to science in children with seizures, it would look very much like the commercials we do see on TV that 70% of the language is all the possible problems that can go wrong. But that's not what Halle Berry and Hugh Jackman and LeBron James and Kim Kardashian are saying. They're saying, I feel great, I look great, nobody mentions. Now, the real, real dark shadow of the animal-based keto diet, give me a big steak, let me put butter all over it, let me just put coconut oil and ghee and uh, put butter in my coffee, is seven very advanced, respected medical studies say that there's a chance of dying earlier in life if you take up this Atkins-like, uh, zone-like, uh, sugar-buster-like approach of extremely low-carb diet, and you do it long-term with animal foods. There's actually studies that say your chance of dying goes up significantly. And that's just not being said to the public who are looking at Halle Berry and saying, I want to look like that. And so it's just the Atkins diet again. Now, for people that have adopted it for a week before a wedding to fit into a gown, um, you know, they're not dying like flies. But we're, I'm hearing all the time, a friends of mine, four years into the animal keto diet, five years, two and a half years, I worry a lot that they have no clue that the science is that strong. The, the segue is there is actually a plant-based version where you go in and out of ketosis that's being um, taught by a professor in Los Angeles, Dr. Walter Longo. But unlike so many of these other studies, there's actually really well-done science, really careful instructions and words of caution, and five days on, 25 days off, five days on, 25 days off. Nobody naturally ever was in ketosis. Nobody was starving for years and years. You'd be dead, you know, a thousand years ago. But people are reproducing the physiology of starvation to get skinny and feel good, not realizing that there is apparently quite a stress in the toll taken in the body. But Dr. Longo is using five days, only plants, low-carb diet, in people with weight issues, diabetic issues, cancer issues, autoimmune issues, multiple sclerosis. And there's phenomenal research going on. And there's two big differences. It's five days on, 25 days off in a month. And it's using plants, not butter, ghee, lard, and uh, huge amounts of red meat. They carry with it all that they carry with. So very exciting uh, kind of twist that plant-based may be an approach. It's called periodic fasting mimicking diet. Periodic means you don't do it all the time. Fasting mimicking, you actually eat some foods, but you get some of the health benefits of a short-term fast. Um, and there's just tons of science out there right now and tons more to come at the highest level of science. So I'm not totally anti-keto right now, but this animal-based non-stop keto is really playing with fire. Yeah, I was wondering why you refer to it as animal-based keto. I had no idea that there was a, a plant-based version out there. I'm curious. I would assume that that still very much restricts carbs. And the, you know, one of the 
four food well almost all of them actually i mean uh, in the plant-based diet you have legumes and and grains and uh you know fruits have the sugars naturally which are carbs so i'm curious you, do you know what kind of foods are on on this diet the the plant-based keto well, diet if you if you look at the only one that really has science and remarkable science it's dr longo's periodic diet and there are olives there are nuts there are some soups that are extremely low in sugar. There are some carbs from uh, some gluten-free pastas, um, tea and water. That totals up to about 800 calories a day for five days. But about 55 to 60% of the calories come from fat, from olives and nuts. Um, I would not advise one of my sick heart patients trying to reverse uh, advanced coronary disease to do it, although five days is a lot different than five months and five years. Um, but I still wouldn't advise them to do it. But for the rest of the public, um, it is actually showing remarkable advantages. There's a Facebook page, Vegan Keto, that has 40,000 you know, members on a Facebook page. There are programs online. None of those actually have science, but I'd always tell a person, if somebody said, I'm doing Keto Man, I'm going to look like Kim Kardashian, I don't know if that's anybody's goal, or LeBron James, <laughs> or whatever, um, you know, do it plant-based. Go online, read a little bit more, because there can't be anything good from piling on butter, lard, and big steaks uh, uh, into the body. Although it's going to be very hard to, you know, to notice the harm short term. It's this theoretical long term risk, which may be more than theory, according to the science. So again, Dr. Walter Longo, L-O-N-G-O, University of Southern California. He's been on 50 podcasts. He has a great book called The Longevity Diet. And I'll warn anybody who reads and listens to his material, he is a top-notch scientist who's been nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. That's kind of top-notch. And he calls his diet based on science, not animal ethics, not environment. He calls it vegan fish. He's concluded that red meat, white meat, pork, lamb is not associated with longevity. And he talks about 19 meals a week from plants and one or two meals a week from fish. Now, I'm a 41-year plant eater, and I don't eat fish, and I feel 20 years old inside at age 60. And, um, you know, a lot of other people will give the same testimony. I'm not promoting fish, but I still think it's remarkable that the world's leading nutrition longevity scientist is talking about plants, 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 you know, essentially almost every meal. And, um, and his, his keto version is without fish. It's all plants, uh, which is very cool. I mean, he's shown in a study in uh, October 2016 the dramatic difference between eating foods rich in plant protein and rich in animal protein on aging and survival. And, you know, hands down, it's some of the best science that none of us need to worry that much about protein. But if you're going to eat protein, eat it from plants. Eat your beans, eat your nuts, eat your greens, eat your grains, foods. Protein's not a food. Protein's called a macronutrient. But uh, eating foods that have plant protein, the amino acid breakdown is much healthier than eating animal foods that are also made of the same 20 or 21 amino acids but have a very different proportion. And each different nutrient activates aging and disease differently. Plants are the winner. So we've talked about a, a number of different diets, at least in passing, focusing obviously on the keto diet, but you mentioned South Beach and Atkins and all those others. With so many different diets out there and different approaches to health, do you believe that there's one clear choice, the optimal choice to achieve best health? 
Yeah, PCR on food plate. I really do believe that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's what I teach. It's what I do. And, you know, the beauty of it is even the USDA food plate in 2011, even Harvard School Public Health food plate in 2011, is essentially the same because they don't actually list any animal products um, as necessary on those uh, scientifically derived programs. They have a little a little quarter of the plate called protein, but they say right there that could be tempeh and soy and beans. Um, they specifically warn against that being processed red meats like bacon, pepperoni, ham sauces that we know are probably the lowest rung of uh, you know food-like substances that are nothing but you know potential for disease causing. So yeah, I really do. I think it's what Dr. Bernard created before the USDA. I think it was 2009. You know, I don't remember if it says vegetarian or plant-based food plate, but that brightly colored plate is how we should eat. Absolutely. And we should maybe only do that two times a day, three times a day. Don't do it six times a day. We overeat. We need to restrict our calories, which have gone up 800 calories a day on average for an American. And uh, even vegans are heavy in many cases. So this interest in fasting and ketosis applies to vegans, even if it means just every vegan listening, every plant-based eater goes from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. and shuts down the kitchen, the pantry, and the the refrigerator, because we all benefit from that, even if our diet is totally from the garden. For sure. The book is The Plant-Based Solution. Dr. Joel Kahn, my guest on Twitter and Instagram, at Dr. J. Kahn and drjoelkahn.com Dr. Khan, thank you so very much for your time today you, you've just been a real treat exam room I love it thank you very much this has been a fascinating show and I'm reminded how here in Washington and many places elsewhere there are these insects cicadas they stay in the ground for 17 years and then they burst out they reproduce and then they go back in the ground for 17 years again And I kind of think that maybe when they burst out of the ground, they write low-carbohydrate books. and Because because about every 17 years, it comes back again. It started out as, uh, I guess, just general low-carb. Then it became the Atkins Revolution. And then it was South Beach. And and now it's keto. Um, And it come and go, but but the, the... concerns that people articulate, which we've, we've heard very clearly in this program, are really the same. Uh, if you'd like to dig more into that, you'll see the studies uh, on diet and heart disease at PCRM.org. And I hope you'll see things that you want to share with your friends, with your families. Um, and uh, please do subscribe on iTunes. Give the show a five-star rating if you would. I'm Dr. Neil Barnard. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.